0: And, uh, you know, as, as, as our study of Hebrews is coming to a close, I, I can't really think of a better topic than to talk about discipleship, in fact, biblical discipleship. If you've been coming over the last few weeks, we've been looking, in fact, uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, we see the examples of faith. You remember the kind of the hall of faith, all these people who by faith did all these great things. Then you see the encouragement of faith in Hebrews chapter 12. And then if uh, you've been here the last week or two, we've been in uh, Hebrews 13 where we see the evidence, the evidence of faith. As Doug mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the writer spends 12 chapters. So you've got 13 chapters in Hebrews. He spends 12 chapters laying this foundation of theology to show how Christ is supreme and how you can come fully end with Christ. You know, it's interesting. I Many of you, I, I know, I've met. Uh, I grew up in Texas. I'm from Houston originally. Uh, my parents both went to the University of Texas in Austin. And uh, hook them horns. Um, and uh, I remember when my dad was building his last house in uh, Anders and Billy. You guys may remember the Hills in Austin, which is a Nicholas-designed golf course. Great, great... Uh, great golf course, and my, dad, my mom and dad were going to be building their final home. And I remember going to see my dad as this house was getting, starting to get the foundation laid, and it kind of sat on this hill, and uh, boy, the, the dirt that they had moved out of that hill to make room for this house was unbelievable. And my dad said, he said, you know, Brad, a third of my budget in building this house is going into the foundation. Now think about that. Would that be true of us as believers? That with our life, are we spending a third of our time building a foundation to build a life upon? And Doug, I was thinking about the fact you said, you know, he spends 12 chapters in Hebrews laying this foundation, this, this doctrine. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned that doctrine has to lead to duty. God, The revelation of God's word must lead to the application of God's word. It's, it's what I call orthodoxy has to lead to orthopraxy. In other words, what I believe is going to be played out in how I live. And in Hebrews 13, really is this where the rubber meets the road. Uh, in other words, my life will reflect what I believe. It's not what I say. It's how I live. Did you guys have parents who said, Hey, don't do as I say? Or do as I say, not as yeah. I do? Hey, maybe you were those parents. I don't know. <laughs> I was at times. And Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And what I was thinking about, Doug, as I was kind of preparing this lesson, is if we are indeed a city set on a hill, Why are so many Christians in hiding? If we're a city set on a hill, a city on a hill can't be hidden. If we are indeed that city, then we ought to be very outspoken about it. You know, Doug, first thing I said to you this week when I talked to you, how was the shooting? (laughs) Because I knew that's what you'd been doing. So oftentimes we come across a brother in Christ, we don't even know what to talk about. Boy, that should be obvious what we're going to talk about. If my faith is real, it should be visible for others to see. In the first six verses of chapter 13, no, I'm not going to teach on Hebrews 13, but I want you to be aware of it. Doug brought this up. He said that our faith should be visible in a love toward our fellow man. It should be visible in how we love one another. It should be visible in how we love our strangers, how we love prisoners, how we love the (coughs) ill-treated. Our faith should be visible in a loyalty to our mate. Our marriages ought to honor God. They should be holy and undefiled. It should be visible in a longing for our maker. This idea of contentment. Am I content in Christ? The Westminster Confession asks the question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, he says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Would that be true of you? Is that true of me? Am I most, is God most glorified because I'm most satisfied in Him? Or am I so busy trying to fill this empty cup up with something other than Christ? Our faith should be visible in a hope in our Master. Are you hoping in what he's done, or are you hoping in what you've done? And in verses 7 through 14 from last week, I think Blake shared with you guys. Here were the following questions we posed at our group on Wednesday afternoon. Is my how is my faith race informed? How's my faith race informed? I I put here, what am I listening to? What am I reading? And what am I watching? You know, it's interesting. I put here, am I being impressed with those that I listen to or am I being impacted? Am I impressed or am I impacted? And when I look at the spiritual leaders of our day today, most people are more impressed with them than they are impacted by them. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says this, remember your leaders those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. How do you imitate a faith that you've never witnessed? You know, this is, we live in strange times. Not only has COVID completely kind of isolated us, but even just generally speaking... Most of us aren't able to really see the faith in our spiritual leaders. You know, I've been fortunate. Doug is one of my spiritual leaders. Doug and I have known each other for 23 years. I've, I, I'm able to imitate his faith. But the only reason I'm able to imitate his faith, not because he stands up here and teaches every week. I'm able to imitate his faith because we do life together. I've been to India with Doug. Ron and I have been to the Philippines with Doug. I've been to Israel with Doug. I've sat in the studio hours on end crying with Doug, <clears throat> sharing our hearts, sharing the burdens, sharing our struggles with marriage and raising kids. That's doing life together. Could you say that about your spiritual leaders? Most in the church don't even know their spiritual leaders. So how could they possibly imitate their faith? I wrote, here. what what if that were a requirement to join a church? That you got to spend maybe six months with your spiritual leader. And you really got to know them. I don't know about you guys. I've probably mentioned this before. I am a very good performer. I'll tell this story if you've heard it. Sorry. Years ago, ago I was... uh, I was we, we had an annual conference at the company that I was a part of, and uh, it was uh, it was in San Diego, and I brought my wife with me. That was a mistake. Now most people you'd say, well, that's great, you can take your wife with you. Well, at the end of the the conference, they have this big uh, you know kind of ceremony, and uh, I'm sitting in the audience with my wife, and the speaker is talking about they're giving the you know the kind of the boss of the year, and uh, or the market of the year. And uh, as they're starting to talk, I'm starting to realize t- he's talking about me. And I th- have no idea that I'm about to win this award. And this person's standing up there, and then he invites two of my managers to come up and speak. And they start talking. Well, I, I mean, I, I know they're my, they're my employees. They're, they're speaking about me. I'm kind of getting big chest i'm feeling pretty cocky (laughs) and uh, eventually they invite me up to receive this award and i go up i'm totally blown away and i've got this little award and i'm walking back to my table and i look at my wife at my table and she's got this look on her face it's kind of a smirk (laughs) and all she said to me was congratulations and uh I, I, i come home and maybe you've done this I got that award, and I put it on my nightstand. You know, I oftentimes just don't have any place to put things. so They just end up on my nightstand. And, uh, oh, about a month or two later, that thing's still on my nightstand. My wife has asked me to move it, put it somewhere. (laughs) No, I just left it there on my nightstand. Well, one morning, as I'm about to head out to the office, she takes that little award and hands it to me. And she said, would you take this to your office? Because the guy who won that award doesn't live here. Don't measure the spiritual maturity of a man in public. (laughs) Measure it at home. Measure it in the places where we can be who we really want to be. And so the, the idea of discipleship is what would it look like to really get to know your spiritual leaders? The second question from last week was, what am I running for? What, in this faith race, what am I running for? My wife, Doug, you, you were talking about running a marathon. That the, the faith race is very much a marathon. My wife was a hurdler in high school. And she compares it that when you're running hurdles, you're not looking at the hurdle. You're looking at the tape at the end. In fact, if you look at the hurdles, your, your chin will drop a little bit every time you look at that hurdle. And you'll hit that hurdle every time. But if you put your, your, your view above the hurdle and look for the tape, you'll clear that hurdle almost every time. But what are you running for? Where are you going? What is my purpose? What is my mission? By the way, if you've been part of SWAT for more than a week or two, you can probably tell me what SWAT stands for, right? Mm -hmm. What does it stand for? Spiritual Warriors Advancing Truth. Truth. I think it's fair to say that the mission of SWAT, correct me if I'm wrong, Doug, (laughs) is to advance biblical truth in both word and deed. Correct? Correct? To advance biblical truth in word and in deed. As spiritual warriors advancing truth, one of our core values is to make Jesus' last command our first priority. Biblical truth should not only inform you, it should transform you. Somebody said this the other day that... I. I've taught on this before, and I asked Chuck. Chuck said, hey, I've got some notes for you. And he said, one of the things that impacted me the last time you spoke was, are the things that we're writing in our journal this morning going to ever get out into our life? Will they ever get off the page and really into our life? Before Jesus ascended to the Father, he gave this command. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, if we truly believe that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ, why are we in the church not making disciples? I won't open that up for discussion. Why are we not making disciples? Well, I have a a few thoughts on that. I want to share those with you as to why we're not making disciples. Number one reason I believe we're not making disciples is fear. It's fear. Fear of being unqualified or ill-equipped to make disciples. Verse 7 of chapter 13 in Hebrews said, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And let me ask you this. Would you want somebody imitating your faith I hope that's true. I hope you want somebody imitating your faith. Throughout Paul's letters, he would say, hey, follow me. (laughs) Imitate me. Watch me. Do as I do. But he says, imitate me as I imitate who? Christ. Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Mm -hmm. Paul's not saying he was perfect. He was just saying, imitate the things that I imitate from Christ. If the outcome of your life doesn't reflect progressive progress towards sanctification, then biblical discipleship is what you need. Let me just state the facts. We all need discipleship. And let me state another fact. We're all being discipled. We're all being discipled. The question is, how am I being discipled? You know that... uh, Mainstream media does a pretty darn good job when given the opportunity of making disciples. Hollywood, when given the opportunity, does a pretty good job of making disciples. Facebook, Instagram, all the things and blogs you listen to do a really good job of making disciples. And really, that's how the enemy works. As brothers in Christ, if we, if we delegate our responsibility to make disciples, the de- default disciple maker will be the world and its system. So the number one reason I think we fail to make disciples is fear. We don't think we have it together. Well, just let me clue you in. You don't. Paul like, didn't think he did either. The second reason we're not making disciples is that we've delegated responsibility to those we think are more qualified. Pastors, preachers, teachers, counselors, missionaries. Here's the facts. We have so elevated gifted teachers and preachers that we now don't feel like we're able to make disciples and share the gospel. And so what we do is we go, hey, you should come to my church and hear my pastor. That's not how this works. Now, I'm thankful for gifted teachers like Doug or your pastor. But the reality is we're to go into the church to be equipped so that we can take the church out into the community. We ought to be sharing Christ with our neighbors before we tell them, hey, come to my church. Your church is not a place for lost people, by the way. I know that may be foreign to some of you. The church is not for lost people. The church is for the saints, We go there to get equipped so that we can be Christ in our community. So we've delegated this responsibility to others. That's not the way it works. So fear, we've delegated responsibility. And then thirdly, I think the reason we're not making disciples is that we're confused as to what a disciple is and how to make them. My earliest memories... Uh, of a kid revolved around hunting trips to south texas uh, we used to go every year with my dad to go white wing hunting i don't know if anybody's familiar with white wing hunting but in texas we have these doves they're a little they're smaller than a pigeon but bigger than a normal dove they've got a little white on their wing and they're called white wing doves but it's about a two-week season in south texas and it is so much fun there's so many birds running and my earliest memories revolve around those hunting trips with my dad. He, my dad, taught me how to hold a gun, how to load a gun, how to shoot a gun without shooting myself and my brother. Um, he taught me how to gut and clean what we shot. And not only did I learn to hunt, I learned a lot from my father. I learned how he walked and how he talked how he joked, how he prayed, how he spoke to others. And you know what's interesting? I remember how he always talked about my mom on the drive home. More than hunting, I learned how to be a man from my dad. And to this day, the lessons that I learned from my dad impact the way I live and love others. What happened in my time with my father was a form of discipleship he led and I followed so what is biblical discipleship you know of all the questions as SWAT brothers we should be wrestling with that should be it right there what is biblical discipleship being disciples of Jesus gets to the very core of who we are and what we should be doing with our lives Biblical discipleship is helping others follow Jesus and it flows directly from being a disciple of Jesus. Disciples are called to follow Christ and following Him means helping others follow Him. So are you a disciple who's making disciples? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Our mission gentlemen, should you choose to accept it, is to make disciples. And for the remainder of our time, I want us to look at five characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm going to run through these pretty quick here. So, Number one, disciples follow Christ. Seems obvious, right? Number two, disciples imitate and replicate Christ. Number three, disciples help others follow Christ. Number four, disciples intentionally build Christ-centered relationships. And number five, disciples depend upon Christ.
1: You run through those one more time. You bet.
0: Number one, disciples follow Christ. Number two, disciples imitate and replicate Christ. Number three, disciples help others follow Christ. Number four, disciples intentionally build Christ centered relationships. And then number five, disciples depend upon Christ. Number one, disciples follow Christ. You know, when, we, when you encounter Jesus for the very first time in the Scriptures, you meet a man who says this, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 4.19 It's a command with a promise and a mission. It's a, it's a, it's a promise that prepares us for a purpose. And that purpose is to be what? Fishers of men. Come, follow me, and I'll make you. I'm going to make you fishers of men. However, there is a cost to following Jesus. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, following Christ requires laying down your desires for His. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20 Have you been crucified with Christ? I hope you'll say yes. Have you been crucified with Christ? Let me clue you in. You're a dead man. Meaning, you're not living for you anymore. You're living for Him. Following Christ requires a sacrifice. In fact, real quick, go over to Luke, Luke 14. If you've got your scriptures with you, look at Luke 14. Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied Him, and He turned and said to them, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Drop down to verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I don't write the message, but I'm just delivering it. So <clears throat> that's, that's tough stuff. We, we want our life, and we want Jesus' life. I want all the things of this world, but I don't want to give up those to follow Christ. Easy believism doesn't work. <laughs> Jesus gives us a promise, though, in Matthew sixteen twenty-five, He says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, when we choose to follow Christ, he promises life. And Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's not a prosperity gospel. That's not you're going to get everything you want but that you, when you give your life to Christ and you surrender all the things that you want and allow God to give you the things that you think you want, you're going to live life to the fullest. It's not just talking about an eternal life. It's talking about life here. The sobering reality is that there is no middle ground. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not, listen to this, whoever does not gather, scatters. Are we gathering? Or are we scattering? If you're not gathering, you're scattering, is what he's saying. If you're not gathering souls for Christ, you're scattering. So his disciples, number one, were to follow Christ. Number two, We're also to imitate and replicate Christ. And that's the heart of discipleship. And Jesus' final command, He told, told His disciples, teach them to observe all that I've commanded. He didn't just say, hey, come and listen to me, teach. Teach them to obey. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded. As disciples... We're called to imitate Jesus' love. Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. John thirteen thirty four. We're called to imitate his mission. Matthew four nineteen, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We're called to imitate his humility. Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. We're called to imitate his service. John 13:14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. We're called to imitate his suffering. 1 Peter 2:21. This is where it gets a little scary, guys. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And we're called to imitate his obedience to the Father. 1 John 2, verse 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected, By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. J.C. Ryle said obedience is the only reality. It is faith visible, faith acting, and faith manifest. It is the test of real discipleship among the Lord's people. And since Jesus is our teacher, we are to learn from him and strive in the power of the Holy Spirit to become like Him. This growth in Christ likeness is a lifelong endeavor that is fueled by the hopeful expectation that one day we will see Him face to face. Paul said, I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Completion. You're not complete. I'm not complete. We're in process. We're, we're being saved. Saved from the penalty of sin. We're saved, being saved from the power of sin. And one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. So as disciples, we follow Christ. We imitate and replicate Christ. And we also help others follow Christ. As we follow Christ, we quickly learn that part of imitation is replication. Having a personal relationship with Jesus, thank you guys, is, is great. It's great to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it's incomplete if it ends with you. It's incomplete if it ends with you. Part of being his follower is to intentionally help others learn from him and become more like him. In other words, following Jesus means helping others follow Jesus. Disciples making disciples. Being a disciple that makes disciples happens in two specific ways. Number one, it, it, it happens through evangelism. And it helps in helping others grow in Christ likeness. So, this first aspect of making disciples is evangelism. Evangel, we're called to evangelize. By the word evangelize, Means to announce, to declare, to proclaim, to preach the good news. That's part of discipleship. A lot of people think discipleship is just getting together like this. No, discipleship is two part. It's evangelism. I think it's interesting, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the word angel is tucked right in the middle of the word evangelize. You know what an angel is, right? It's a messenger. When we evangelize, we're delivering a message, a message of hope, a message of peace. It's a life-giving message with eternal ramifications. Brad,
1: can I interject? You can. When you hear the word evangelize, good news, what does that mean? What does that mean? It has one meaning to announce what? What is the message? That's really important. It was only used three times. It was a secular term. Only used three times back in that day. When a king was coronated, a king was born, or a king got a victory. The way we use it, we use it, Jesus saves. He saves because he's king. You cannot separate his saviorhood from his kingship. And that's the message we give people. It's not just that he died on the cross. He's king. He wants you to follow
0: him. Yeah, and I think of the that we're ambassadors. Mm -hmm. What is an ambassador's role? Peace. That's the goal. It's peace. Mm -hmm. And as messengers of a kingdom, we're to bring peace. We're to preach peace. God has sovereignly placed you and I in families and in workplaces and in circles of friends in order to proclaim the gospel of grace to those who are in darkness and destined for destruction. Are we messengers of hope and peace? 1 Peter 2.9, you guys have heard this many times. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light. That's who you are, and that's your purpose, plain and simple. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a, a people of God's own possession. And your purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light. It's plain and simple, just like that. So we're to evangelize. The second aspect of making disciples is helping others grow in Christ's likeness. Jesus designed his church to be a body, a kingdom of citizens and a family who is actively building each other up into the fullness of Christ. We're called to instruct each other about Christ and to imitate others who are following Christ. As disciples, we are to intentionally pour into other disciples so they can pour into others. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writing to his child in the face says, The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will teach others also. That's four generations, guys. That's Paul speaking to Timothy, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to other faithful men, number three, who will teach others, number four, four generations. I bet Doug, you and I would, would struggle to see four generations in our, in our t- time. Now we may not be aware of it. There may be, there probably is four generations, but we just may not be aware of it. Is that our focus? Is that our focus? Are we intentionally making disciples by evangelizing? and discipling them so that we can see four generations from you. So disciples follow Christ, imitate and replicate Christ, help others follow Christ, and we also build (coughs) Christ-centered relationships. Christ-centered relationships. By the way, discipleship doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional about cultivating deep honest relationships where we meet the spiritual needs of other believers? How do we know the spiritual needs of others if we're not intentional about spending time with one another? And I'm talking about outside of a Bible study, outside of these four walls here. I, I remember years ago, I was, I was leading two small groups at our church Four to six guys. One, one group met on Friday morning early, one group met on Monday night. And almost on a weekly basis, we'd have this great fellowship, sitting around a table, opening the Word of God, praying for one another, sharing our burdens with one another. After it's all said and done, you walk out to your car, you're like, that's great. Sure enough, I'd hear somebody say, hey Brad, you got a second? And there at my car, that guy would say, hey, do you have any time this week to get together for coffee? And what comes out of that conversation are things he wasn't willing to share at a small group. He was carrying around some things in his life that he needed somebody to share it with. Listen, gentlemen, Doug, you and I have experienced this. We're to confess sin to one another. I know that seems foreign. We're not talking about airing your dirty laundry. But we're talking about <coughs> sin that is burdening us. We're called to confess it to one another. That's discipleship. That's getting together with a brother or two and sharing those burdens, because we're called to bear those burdens for our brother. Relationships that spring out of a community like SWAT should be both structured and they should be spontaneous. You know, as you study the life of Christ, he was formal in his teaching of the disciples, but... Boy, you think they didn't get to see a lot of just interaction with him? I mean, they lived with the guy for three years. There was a lot of interaction going on. He, saw, he taught him formally, but he also taught him kind of spontaneously. He, he allowed them to witness his obedience to the Father. And as you study the life of Christ, that's what we see. We always need to be intentional, but we don't always need to be structured. Deuteronomy 6 which we just quoted part of, it shows us that discipleship happens when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. It's constantly. When my kids were growing up, we used to sit in the backyard when it was cool like these nights are, these clear nights, and sit in the backyard as we looked up through the massive oak trees and you had a clear night and you see the stars up there. I don't need to bring my Bible out to teach them a good Bible story, right? As you look up at the sky, you can think of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night it reveals knowledge. Boy, we have opportunity in every aspect of life to interject opportunities to disciple people. I played golf on Friday with Brian Andrews, one of our SWAT brothers, on Thursday. It's just a beautiful day. Yeah, You'd think two guys, two dudes playing golf, that we're going to talk about golf. No, we didn't talk about golf. <clears throat> we talked about the beauty of just being outdoors, being outside, getting to enjoy the smell of fresh cut grass. There's so many opportunities that we have to engage in biblical discipleship every moment presents an opportunity to discuss who God is and what God's doing. Since so, so we're always following Jesus, we always have the opportunity to, talk, to help others follow Him as well. So disciples follow Christ, imitate and replicate Christ, help others follow Christ, build Christ-centered relationships, and finally, disciples depend on Christ. They depend on Christ. As disciples who are making disciples, we have to always remember that apart from the sustaining and empowering grace of God, you and I are absolutely useless. We're useless. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, can you finish it? You can do nothing. Do Do we really believe that? Mm. Apart Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Now, you may get a good golf game. You may get a good target practice. You may do a lot of other things on your own. But you won't disciple apart from Christ. We fail. We sin. We struggle. Thankfully, God's grace abounds. We never graduate from our need for God's grace. And as we follow Christ and help others follow Him, We're constantly made aware that we need more grace. We need more Christ. You know, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And you know what His last words right before He ascended is? Say it again. And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. If that's not one of the most promising and comforting things to realize is we leave here and we're going to go make disciples today. He's with us. He's with us. We need him to do that. Doug, how are we on time? we got to go up two minutes. Right. Um, no pressure. Though. No, no pressure. <laughs> um, I, uh, when, I, when Doug asked me to teach, I thought oh, it would be great. I'll, I'll just pull up my old notes, but about... Just before COVID happened, I, I uh, Doug and I did the radio for, what, three and a half years, almost four years. And, I, you know, if you teach a lot, you do a lot of notes, you, you know, store all those in my computer. And, and I've taught this lesson several times on discipleship. And uh, I realized I didn't have my, message, my, my notes because my computer crashed before, right before COVID. And I never restored the backup drive. And so it gave me an opportunity to kind of re, re, re-engage in this idea of making disciples. But one of, the, one of the passages that I love to look at is in, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I, there's just some things I want to point out to you uh, from a practical standpoint, that as you look at this Paul who is writing to Timothy... Um, and I'll, I'll just move through it very quickly. Paul, an apostle, beginning in chapter one, Second Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. If you highlight anything in your scripture, highlight these two things. I thank God. He thanked God for Timothy. If you're going to make Timothys, thank God for them. Thank God that you've got people in your life who truly want to (coughs) be disciples. And then underline... He's prayerful. My prayers night and day. He was praying for Timothy. We better be thankful and we better be prayerful of our Timothys. Verse 4, as I remember your tears, you can underline, I long to see you. It doesn't read, I long to text you or Facebook message you. I long to be with you. Guys, we need to be with one another continuously, religiously, consistently. I long to be with you. I long to see you that I may be, look at that, filled with joy. Being together brought joy to Paul. Verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. The faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. If you're going to make Timothys, you better affirm their faith. It may not be big, but you better affirm what you do see in him. Verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. The gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. By the way, they laid hands on Him the Holy Spirit came into Timothy and He was saying, Hey, fan the flame of the Spirit. You may go, What, what does that mean? Get into His Word. To keep a fire going, you've got to fan it every once in a while. Okay, You need this. You need fellowship with believers. This isolating yourself, that fire will go out really quick. Fan the flame. Verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here's the facts. Timothy was scared. He was scared. He was fearful like many of us. And he was saying, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. You can trust Him. Therefore, do not be ashamed, verse 8, of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Listen, if we're going to preach the gospel, if we're going to make disciples, we may suffer, but do it in the power of God. You can do it. Who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher which is why I suffer as I do. But, he says, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now look at this, Verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling Timothy, stay true to the gospel. Don't stay true to the newest thing that's out there. Stay true to the word of God. And then verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, he says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You know what the good deposit is, right, Jeff, guys? The good deposit is the gospel. The good deposit is the word of God. And if I said, hey, I'm going to give you this. I want you to guard it. What I'm telling you is this is valuable to me. This is important to me. I want you to cherish it. That's what we're to do. We're to guard the good deposit. We cherish it. We love it. We protect it and we share it with others. All right, Doug, thanks.
1: Thanks, Brad. Thank you,
0: Brad. Thanks. Um,
1: Real quick, um, he asked the question, he said, what is biblical discipleship? And I I spent long and hard uh, a couple of years ago just praying through what are the elements. It's an intentional, like he said, mentoring relationship that fosters growth through biblical instruction, through modeling, and, and we miss modeling in our culture. That's the biggest thing I think, Brad, we miss, is the modeling. So biblical instruction, modeling, encouragement, which we get, and then the last thing is accountability. You can't have accountability in isolation. And, so, and the reason is, it's in community to reproduce others to put God on display in the world. And so you guys did that Saturday at uh, the Turkey giveaway. I've gotten comments from Linda and Reggie about how awesome it was. We have another one, December 12th. If you want to be a part of it, there's a sign-up list over here. That's one way to do ministry together. It's an opportunity. So I would love for you to be a part of that. The other thing is we join together and we help brothers. This time of year, um, so Dawa, Dawa is our brother in India, needs another five grand. Right now we've got about almost uh, $2,000 for his wife's surgery. A church, a Bhutanese church up in Pennsylvania has raised $2,500 for him. These people have nothing. So our brother's wife can't have surgery until she has this money. I'm going to try to send money, whatever we have, uh, next week. We're not meeting at SWAT next week. We have all for Thanksgiving. So if you want to give, go to hislight.org, and you can donate online to DAWA and what that is. Uh, And 100% goes to him. I don't take anything out of that. There's no admin fees. 100% goes to DAWA. But if you go to that website, don't just put it in and go to Google. Somehow somebody hacked in and they put, if you go down and click on the links under Google Match, it'll, you'll get ads for Viagra. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I don't understand it. But just put, you can type in hislight.org in your top box and then go to partner with Doug. And just make sure you put India on it. And then I know it goes to Dawa. Um, Finally, guys, you can say I will not be a disciple, but you can't say I can't be a disciple. You're looking at a guy who shouldn't be a disciple. I'm disqualified in so many ways. And last week I got to share with a guy who would never been discipled in his life. And he looked me in the eye. He said, thank you. Thank you for challenging me. And now he wants to be a disciple. And so there are people all around. Four generations. Let's not be content with one. Keep building. So Father, we thank you and we praise you. You are the one true living God. There's none like you. And you have done so much for us. Lord, let us be faithful men who continue to make disciples. We love you and we praise you. Let us go out now and put you on display. Amen.